0: Good morning. Um, it is a joy to be here with you this morning. Um, I've known Jason for a while and uh, have loved him for his beard, and, uh, and so it's It's good to be here with you this Sunday. Um, I, I want to do something as we begin. Uh, we're going to read the text from John chapter 10, um, and if you'd like to go there in your Bibles uh, now, you can. Um, th- there's an ancient tradition in the church that when the Uh, Scriptures were read um, as the the people of God gathered, um, that the reader would say, this is the word of the Lord, Um, and the church then would respond, thanks be to God. We we do this um, as an acknowledgement that what's happening when this word is read is actually quite different than what's happening in just a second when I start talking, Um, that that God has given us by his grace um, this gift, uh, this, this gift where he has spoken to us and made himself known to us and revealed himself to us in his word. Um, and so I want to read this text, and then I want to announce to you, um, this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. And my hope that you would join me and then respond with thanks be to God. As we, as a community, give thanks to him, um, th- this, this God, this God who hasn't um, left us in the dark trying to figure out who he is and what he's like, but has actually spoken and revealed himself to us um, in this book. You got it? Everybody's ready to vigorously say, thanks be to God. Otherwise, I won't think you're thankful. So, okay. All right. So, I'm going to start in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And uh, we'll do this, and then I'll pray. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. And it's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. John, let me pray. Father, it is a marvelous thing that you have not left us in the dark. You haven't left us merely to grope and guess and try to um, figure out on our own what you are and what you're like and what you call us to. But rather you come and you speak, you reveal yourself to us. It's a sunny thing, not only do you speak, not only do you um, kind of deliver to us a word, but you actually come and call yourself our shepherd. You welcome us in and then you lead us. You lead us to life, you lead us to forgiveness, you lead us to mercy, and most of all, you lead us to commune with you, to know you, and to walk with you. And So God, I pray now as we um, begin to to look at um, what Jesus has said, how Jesus has revealed himself to us in this text. God, I pray that you would meet us here by your spirit in a way that's it's not merely intellectual, that's not merely us grasping um, more theological categories for who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, but rather, God, that you would, um, we would encounter you by your spirit, um, not just know you as shepherd um, uh, intellectually, but experience you as shepherd this morning. That we not simply know that you're the gate, that you're the way in and out. you're, you're, you're the place where, um, the only place where we can find life. God, that we'd experience that this morning. And in just a few minutes when we come and we take bread and juice, God, that you would meet us in these elements. And remind us that in you and you alone is there to be found nourishment and life and forgiveness and peace. So God, Come. Open our eyes as you opened the blind man's eyes in chapter 9. And help us to see, to to hear your voice and to follow you as those who know you. In your name we pray, amen. I want to prepare you a little bit before we step into chapter 10. Um, Jesus is going to paint a picture for us, has painted a picture for us in the first six verses of chapter 10. And it's a picture that... Um, might lull you to sleep a bit with how you should be responding to what he says here. He, you see, he's going to paint a picture of of roaming hills, of sheep going in and out, um, of a sheepfold, of a shepherd who takes care of the sheep. Um, he's going to paint for us, in his words, uh, a bit of a Thomas Kincaid painting. Um, I, I can imagine the waterfalls, the mist kind of going across the, um, the, the valley, the shepherd kind of leisurely laying down as the, the, the sheep um, take all of the, the green grass and eat it um, and enjoy a nice leisurely afternoon. I can imagine that painting being comforting to all of us, being a nice sentimental moment for all of us, and, and that painting being placed over our couches as we kind of go about the rest of our life. And so uh, my my fear is that as we we gather this morning and we hear this text and we hear Jesus' words here and we kind of imagine the picture that he's painting, that that many of us would leave here and simply be comforted, that we'd simply kind of have a nice, sentimental, warm encounter with um, Jesus as he presents himself in this text. The the problem with that, and why I, I position this for you as a warning, is that nobody who heard Jesus say this Responded that way. No one heard this picture of, of sheep and a sheepfold and he as the good shepherd, he is the gate. Nobody heard this description and thought, hey, that's a nice, warm, kind of uh, a good picture of God. I like this picture. I like this Jesus guy. He paints nice pictures for us. Um, and I'm going to go home and, and, and I'm going to stop by Chipotle, get my burrito, um, and kind of sit on the couch and, and ponder and feel comforted by this image. Nobody responded that way. I mean, just to remind you, the, the text ends with showing us what the response was. It says in verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. That many of them said he has a demon and is, is insane. Why listen to him? In other words, when Jesus spoke these words, warm feelings or indifference were not an option. The, the, the words that Jesus spoke as he describes himself as the gate, as he describes himself as the good shepherd, was that it immediately divided the room. And my fear is that all of us will hear this, this picture that Jesus paints. And whether you're a Christian here this morning or you're not a Christian here this morning, you'll hear these words, you'll hear these descriptions, and you'll think, well, that's, that's nice. It's kind of warm. It's a good picture. And you'll go about the rest of your day but the response to Jesus as he says what we're going to look at today was to immediately divide the room. There were people who heard this who took great offense. This wasn't just a mild theological disagreement. Their response to it is, this man who says these kinds of things, the man who any man who can say these kinds of things is either insane or possessed by a demon. That's the strength of the response that's given to us in chapter 10, to what Jesus paints for us um, as he describes that, that he's, as he declares that he's the good shepherd and the gate of the sheep. So my warning to you as we begin to look at this line by line it is: don't be indifferent. That there are things in this text that some of you should, should as you sit there, should strongly disagree with. Oh, I pray that you wouldn't. I pray that your eyes would be open to see them as precious and beautiful and good. But, but I pray that you wouldn't simply see them as nice. You would not be emotionally distant or indifferent to the claims of Jesus in his text. Rather, you'd be shocked, you'd be stunned. My hope, actually, is that you would be amazed, that you would long to know this Jesus and follow this Jesus, and you would stand back with a sense of utter reverence and worship at the claims that Jesus makes in this text. Now, the other important thing that you need to know about chapter 10 is that it immediately follows chapter 9, which makes sense, right? Right? Um, And and that was not just because someone had good math, but actually chapter 10 is written as an explanation to kind of an expansion on a scene that happens at the very end of chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus um, encounters a blind man. He heals this blind man of his blindness, and it creates a massive uh, bit of controversy. It doesn't, um, n- nobody responds again the way you think they respond with, oh, great, there's a blind guy who's not blind anymore. No, no, it actually creates an enormous amount of controversy all around one question. Who is this Jesus? So the religious leaders of the day, they, they call the blind man in, they call his family in, um, and, and they are um, frustrated, they're angry, they don't know what to do, because there's claims that Jesus is making, um, claims that He carries with him the authority of God himself, uh, that he speaks for God, that he acts for God, um, And, and he's, they're trying to find some way to undermine these claims that Jesus is making, but he keeps messing everything up by healing people. And so he heals this man of his blindness. Um, and, and the Pharisees call him in, and they start questioning him. And the blind man starts to kind of poke fun and have a little fun with the Pharisees by saying, "Hey, hey, I, um, I, I, I see now. Do, do you want to become his disciples?" Um, actually taking the leaders, these religious leaders who claim to see clearly, and they're talking to this man that they claim is blind, who doesn't understand anything, and certainly can't tell them accurately who Jesus is, but he's actually the one in the story, ironically, he's the only one who actually sees. And he makes a pretty persuasive argument in chapter 9, like clearly, I, I don't know exactly who this Jesus is, but God's with him. And the result is the Pharisees kick him out. They kick him out of the synagogue. They cast him out, and, and he's he's sent essentially into exile. He's he's excommunicated, which in that day wasn't just, didn't just mean like hey you can't attend this service every week. It, it meant that you were you're really no longer a part of the community. That the whole village would have been he would have been rejected by the whole village. Jesus hears about this, he he comes to this blind man and begins to talk to the blind man, and that raises all kinds of questions, because Jesus wasn't speaking to him privately, he was speaking to him very, very publicly. And so people begin to ask, and one religious leader comes to Jesus and said, are you saying that we're blind and he can see? And and, and the interesting thing is how Jesus answers that question is what we have in chapter 10. And so he says a picture, a word picture. Um, John says it is a figure of speech, a metaphor. And the picture is is one that would have been very, very common in Jesus' day. Everyone listening to Jesus paint this picture would have known exactly what he was talking about. And unless you've spent much time with shepherds, I haven't um, spent any time ever in my entire life with a shepherd, Um, this is probably not a common thing. It's it's not a common picture that we would know. Um, So I want to take a little bit of time to paint the picture for you, because then we're going to refer back to it as Jesus begins to explain this metaphor to everyone who's listening to him. Um, first, you have some sort of sheep pen. Um, it, it's, uh, there's a gatekeeper at this sheep pen, which, which probably indicates it's a large sheep pen, which means it's probably more like a courtyard and not just like a fenced-in area. Um, uh, you have a gatekeeper who's who's the one to make sure the right shepherd is getting the right sheep. That, that only shepherds are coming in. Thieves aren't coming in. It, it, you have to have somebody there to manage the in and out. Like who's allowed into the sheep? Who? What sheep are allowed out? That kind of thing going on. So we've got some sort of courtyard, um, and in that courtyard is a whole bunch of sheep from from um, several different tribes from several different um, owners, and, and you have a gatekeeper standing at the gate, and you've got a gate and one way in, one way out. There's only one way to get to the sheep. There's only one way that the sheep can get out, to go and eat and to go um, be nourished and to go not be in the sheep pen. And going in and out, you have shepherds. But you also have thieves trying to get in, but they're not going to come through the gate. They can't get in the gate. You've got robbers trying to get in to steal some of these sheep, they, they, um, but they, they can't go through the gate either. Only the shepherd is allowed through the gate, and only the shepherd with his sheep is allowed out of the gate and so think about how strange this is with me for a moment all of these questions are arising about who are you, Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Um, is God with you or not with you? Are you demon possessed? Or what, who is this man, Jesus? What is he doing? This man that, that, that continues to heal people and say crazy things, and we don't know what to do with it. None of the religious leaders know what to do. With it. He's just not conforming to any of their expectations about who he should be. And those are the questions that are getting asked. And this man has just been separated from his family, separated from his community, separated from everything that he knows. And, and Jesus doesn't offer him nice words of counsel. He doesn't kind of, kind of put his arm around the guy and they have like a little session on the couch. No, no he, he says picture, a pastoral picture of sheep and shepherds and gates and courtyards and thieves and robbers. And this is how he answers those questions. And so, what does he actually say? How, how does he begin um, to, to explain it? Because it's interesting. It says in verse six this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And, and we have a tendency to be hard on these people. And I'm like, I, if I was asking questions, hey, who are you, Jesus? What is this guy supposed to do? Like, he can't, he, he's been kicked out. Like, what does he do with his life now? And then Jesus painted a picture about sheep and shepherds and gates. Would you kind of look at him sideways? What are you talking about, Jesus? Come back to us. Talk to us about what's going on. And so Jesus begins to explain the picture. But don't forget the the questions that he's answering. They center on who he is. They center on what do you do with this man who's now been kicked out, been separated from his community, separated from his family. And he's going to have, a, frankly, a really hard time making a living, just a living now. What, what do you do with that situation? So he paints this picture, and then as he begins to describe the picture for us, he says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, that's strange. But one of the things that you've got to come to terms with is that Jesus says really strange things. So it, it's as though I stood up here on a Sunday morning, you began asking me questions, maybe we were talking afterwards, and you say, hey, Brian, tell me about your life, tell me kind of who you are, what's, what's your story, and rather than going into kind of a description of my wife and my kids, and kind of our story, how we ended up here, instead I just said, hey, I, I am a door. You'd go, either he's extremely artsy, so artsy that none of us understand it, or he's a crazy person, insane, maybe may he's just by demon. Um, so, so Jesus, you can imagine, like this is confusing. So Jesus, um, uh, he begins to answer their questions about, hey, we don't understand. What are you talking about with, with sheep and doors and all this stuff? He says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, this is not just strange because he refers to himself um, as an object. It's also strange because of what he doesn't say. We're talking about a man that, that has encountered the gatekeepers of the synagogue, encountered the gatekeepers of access to God and his word. And he's been kicked out. So you can imagine Jesus if he's trying to counter their argument. You can imagine here saying, Hey, I am, I'm the true gatekeeper. The, the, these religious leaders, the, these Pharisees, they're not the gatekeepers. Um, you don't need to worry about what they say. Um, your real access to God has not been restricted by them. Um, you see, I'm the one who actually stands at the gate. I'm the one who actually evaluates who gets in and, and who gets out. I, I'm the one who can actually get you kicked out of this deal. I'm not those guys. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say I'm the gatekeeper. He says, I am the gate. I'm the door. I'm the way in. You see, what Jesus does here is what he's done over and over and over again in John's Gospel, and he'll continue to do it to the end. And it's a statement that is, it's frankly disturbing. It's disturbing for a number of reasons to us in our day, but it's just as disturbing in Jesus' day you see, what everyone expected is um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're the gatekeepers. They kind of um, make sure that you've met the standards you're supposed to meet, that you're dressed appropriately, that you are, are, are doing the right things, saying the right things, praying enough, um, doing the stuff you need to do in order to remain a part of the community. Um, but Jesus comes and he says something here that sounds a lot like things that he says, crazy things that he says throughout John's gospel. I, I, I want to remind you just of one in John chapter 6, um, a crowd is coming to Jesus. Um, John tells us that they want to make him king. So there's a crowd of people, they really, really like Jesus. They want to do everything that Jesus says, so much so they want to make him king so, so that, so that they, he can be in charge of everything. So, so they come to Jesus, and um, they say, hey, we want to make you king, um, and then he starts talking really strangely about bread. That he provides bread. And, and, and in that day, that could mean bread, that could also mean teaching. So they're coming to Jesus going like, okay, great, we want you to be king, teach us. Teach us what we're supposed to know. Teach, teach us um, how, what, what it means to be the people of God, what it means to kind of live by your teaching. But he keeps upping the ante. Um, you, you read John 6, and, and you can start to get a little bit frustrated with Jesus. Like, hey, be, be nicer to these people. Like, they, they like you. They, they, they want to follow you. They want you to kind of, they, they want to do the stuff that you have to say. So how about you give them something to do, But Jesus just keeps ratcheting it up, ratcheting it up, ratcheting it up. And in the end, he he says something that's so offensive to them that they all just leave. They, They don't know what to do with him. He says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. In other words, I'm not here to teach you how to live. I don't come merely as this nice teacher walking in the wilderness who happened to be able to do a couple miracles. No, unless you come to me completely to find your life, unless you come to me myself for for identity, for hope, for nourishment, but for all that I am as I am, you don't get anything from me. This is all over the Gospel of John. I'm the vine, you are the branches. I am the fountain of life. I don't just give you access to the fountain of life, I actually am the fountain of life. I am the light of the world. I don't make simply a way to light of the world. I do just inform you about the light of the world. I am in my person. As I stand here with you, I am, I'm not the gatekeeper. I'm not the one who just stands at the door to kind of figure out who gets in and out. No, when you come to me, you come to life itself. You come to the one that you were made for. That you were made to know to love, to treasure, to experience, to walk with. You come to the gate itself. Now, think about it a little bit. And and it can begin to make sense. See, all of us are looking for a way in. We're trying to get there. There being kind of Whatever, whatever you want to put there, like put it there, right? Whether it's success. If I can just be successful in my job, I can get to the place I want to be. I can finally have fulfillment. I can be happy. If I can just, um, if I can just kind of have finally be financially at ease and secure and have retirement taken care of and kind of be in control of my life financially, hey, then I'll have arrived. Then, kind of, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. Things will be the way I want them to be. If I can just, Get, get married, which, by the way, solves all the problems that you have. If I could just get married, then I'll be happy. Then, then I'll I'll really know what it is to be loved. I mean, even think about the place you live. We live in Denver, so you have to go somewhere. I'm um, in Denver to see that there's mountains. And so you have to pull onto I-70, which is, it's just ironic. You're pulling onto I-70 to see something beautiful, but you're on something really ugly. Um, uh, but but you come to Colorado Springs and it's just all, all the mountains are just kind of hovering over you as we we drove up um, here to the school and even we took the exit off I twenty five. I my I've lived in Colorado for eight years now and and my my stomach still fell. Where do we live? Here's this beauty, beauty that makes your bones ache, A beauty that you long to just not just kind of see from afar, but absorb into your very person. We just went and saw, um, we went up through on um, the Grand Tetons to visit some friends in Bozeman, Montana, and, and as we're driving, kind of trying to get to the Tetons, we're on this small little road, and all we've kind of seen is hills for a while, <coughs> and then we came around this bend. It was really interesting to me um, that right there at that bend, it's kind of your first vision of the Grand Tetons. Um, they've, they've created a pull-off right there, um, like a, a parking lot that kind of sits on the edge so that so that you can pull off. And it's a good thing they have because everyone would like rear end each other um, if they hadn't created the turnoff. And you, you come around this corner and there they are in all of their aching, beautiful grandeur. And there's something in the depths of the human soul that longs not simply to observe it, not simply to know that it's over there, but to be drawn up into that beauty. And I don't know what ways you've taken to try to get in. Maybe it's you've put all of your hope in the job. You've put all your hope in marriage. You've put all your hope in financial security. You've put all your hope in drink or sex or mountains. But Jesus says, I am the door, the only door. all of those others if you treat them as doors will be nothing to you but thieves and robbers they will take from you the very thing that you want there's a quote from um, a famous old sermon by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory and I I love it I commend it to you Um, You can find it online for free. If you want to buy the book, you can buy the book somewhere. Um, That's not much help. That's obvious. You can buy the book somewhere. Um, And just read the first chapter. But in the midst of that sermon, he says this. The sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers with the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality is part of our inconsolable secret. And surely from this point of view, the promise of glory in the sense described becomes highly relevant to our deep desire for glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. You see, the door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. The longings that have driven you your whole life. As Jesus declares, I am the door, he makes a claim here. It can only be met in him. Everything else will fail you. Worse than that, everything else will destroy you if you treat them as the door. But when we come to this door, who is it that we come to? And so Jesus takes the same metaphor, takes the same picture, and now he says, Not only am I the door, I'm also the good shepherd. I'm also, um, as we come to this door, as we come to this Jesus, as we come to this fountain of life in which to find all our lives, all our needs and longings and desires met, that here is beauty itself, here is goodness itself. Um, um, as we encounter this one, who is it that we're encountering? What is he like? And he uses the imagery of being a shepherd. And the, the imagery of being a shepherd is, is interesting He he says a few things about the nature and the character of God and about himself. First, he says he's the good shepherd. He's the shepherd that that knows you. Have you ever considered this about God? That he knows you? Like, Like, really knows you? He knows everything about you. And he doesn't reject you. In fact, Jesus says here, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep by name. And he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He knows you. He knows you intimately, terrifyingly intimately. And not only does he not leave, he lays down his life for your good. I've never had a relationship like marriage. There's no hiding in marriage. Um, The church we pastored, I pastored in Denver, um, had a lot of um, young single people who all had this ambition that marriage was somehow going to be the place where um, everything was great and perfect because you get to and so, um, <laughs> I'm a guest here. Uh, and, and so, um, I, I, I would constantly try to remind my friends, like, hey, th- this is actually the most terrifying reality in the world. Because pretty soon, you, you can't pretend anymore. Pretty soon, like, this other person that you made crazy, insane. I mean, think about vows for a moment. The kind of promises you're making are, are just they're just dumb. Um, and, and yet you're making them anyway. And then this person, eventually you can't hide anymore. Eventually they know you. Like I am known by this, my wife's right there, I am known by this woman in a way that no one else on earth knows me. She knows my idiosyncrasy. She knows my weirdness. She, she knows like the weird kind of, stuff that goes on in my head and my own preferences and desires and longings uh, about, um, about all kinds of things, almost everything. She knows my own propensity for sin. She knows my own inclinations towards particular sins. She knows everything there is to know about me. And she stays. She knows the ugly stuff. There's a lot of really ugly stuff. She doesn't go anywhere. She knows more about me than any other human being on earth and she knows almost nothing about me compared to what the God of the universe knows. And knowing all of it, he as our good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When you think of God, is this who you think of? The gate, the door, the shepherd who knows you and loves you, who loves you so much he will lay down his life to rescue you, to redeem you, to give you life itself. Now when Jesus makes this claim, he's um, he's not just... He's not just kind of giving us a nice, nice metaphor for how kind he is or how good he is. Everybody listening to him is starting to figure out the claims he's actually making. He's going to make it more explicit in the next section of chapter 10. Um, but, but as he begins to talk about being the good shepherd, as he begins to talk about being a shepherd, especially in the face of these religious leaders who aren't good shepherds, who are actually um, kicking people out um, and, and, and trying to grill them because they're not saying necessarily the very right things, um, at what would have immediately been brought to mind for anyone who knew the Hebrew Scriptures, which in Jesus' day was everybody listening to him at this point. It's Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God first comes and he begins to condemn the shepherds of Israel, condemns the religious leaders of Israel, begins to tell them, man, all you've done is trample on my sheep, you've used my sheep for your own gain. And then the crazy thing that happens in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, starting in verse 11, is God doesn't come and say, hey, I'm going to raise up better shepherds. No, he says this. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. When you think of God, what do you see? So what Jesus says you should see is a shepherd who pursues his sheep. It chases after them wherever they've been scattered. But what you should see is, is the shepherd who knows his sheep by name. What you should see is a shepherd who loves his sheep, who loves his sheep so much that he will lay down his life for those sheep. So who do we encounter when we come to the gate? We encounter this, this sort of God. I, I want to end by pointing out one, one other thing in this text, a thing that, um, thing that we might pass by and not notice. But it's something I want us to see. For this metaphor to work, you have to understand that one of the things that Jesus is saying about everyone who's listening to him, even now, everyone who's listening to him, all of us, he's saying that we're sheep. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like to imagine myself as a sheep. Sheep are kind of fluffy. Cute and fluffy. I don't know if cute's the right word. They yell... I've heard them scream on videos, um, and uh, they're fluffy. <laughs> and they're also, they're also just, it's just, not a, it's just not a noble thing to be a sheep. You're helpless, you're desperate, you need someone to take care of you, someone to lead you, someone to show you where you're even supposed to eat. But in this metaphor, it's also instructive to us to know, what does it mean to come to this Jesus. The only way you get to come is you come as a sheep. You come with need. Desperate, total need. Sheep isn't made worthy by his coat or his accomplishments or how great he is at fighting off wolves. He isn't accepted into the sheepfold because he's a particularly smart sheep and he found the door and he's really good at it. You come dumb and needy, desperate for a shepherd, a shepherd who is good, a shepherd who will lay down his life for his people. Or you don't come at all. And so I plead with you, come. And not just once, but over and over and over and over again, that your whole life would be coming to the shepherd. Let's pray. And so, King Jesus, like a shepherd, lead us, care for us, guide us, even now by your Spirit, come and call us to you, not to health or to wealth or to success or to all the other places we think we'll find meaning or hope or guidance, but God, may we come to you and drink. God, may this people, may we as your people, be a people who are marked, most of all, as a people who desperately need our God to rescue us, to save us, and to be with us. And so, God, call us to yourself, and may we come. In your name we pray, amen.